Well, hey, you're listening to the Resonate Church Monmouth Sermons Podcast. Whether you're a part of the Resonate family or you're just a friend of ours tuning in, we're so glad that you're here. We are a church here in Monmouth, Oregon that exists for the college campus and our broader community. So if you'd like to learn more or get further connected, head over to resonate.net slash Monmouth. Otherwise, hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, hey, Resonate, so good to be with you today. Uh, hey, coming at you today with a little bit of a different format. We had a technical issue, so re-recording uh, Vision Sunday for us. So let me begin by asking you a question. Have you ever faced the relentless and unwavering resolve of a child committed to getting to the bottom of things? <laughs> most, most of us probably have. And if you have, you, you know the answer to my, my second question. And my second question is this, uh, what is every small human being's, every child's, favorite three-letter word that also functions as a complete sentence in the form of a question? Yeah, it's, it's W-H-Y. Why? 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 Yeah, but dad, why? Yeah, but why? <laughs> if you've ever had an interaction with a child uh, who, who's committed to getting to the bottom of things, it can be frustrating because often it feels like we maybe don't have the answers. Uh, but as frustrating as it can be, curious kids are great because they hold a special passion to discover the meaning underneath the surface and things, and they teach us something. So today as a church, my, my goal and hope for us is that we can turn back the dial and become like our curious younger selves again in relation specifically to our church. So we're calling today Vision Sunday in order to take a moment, just, just like one week uh, in our time today, to ask some basic questions about our church and, and try to get underneath some things. So questions like, why? Why are we? Why is our church? Uh, who are we? Who, who is our church? And, and finally, um, what are we doing? Where, where are we going? Um, so in this asking some basic questions to try to get underneath some things. Uh, and since our church was, was planted and established about six years ago, we've, we've done something like this, similar to this annually. And, and we've tried to do it for, for two reasons. I want to reiterate those reasons for us today. Uh, reason number one is because we are forgetful. <laughs> we're, we're just like forgetful people as human beings. Uh, as creatures of habit, we can often lose our way. Like we, we start doing something with passion and deep understanding, but as we get set in that habit, we, we forget the why behind uh, the reason we began in the first place, right? So Vision Sunday is largely meant to act as a reminder for us because we're forgetful. And then secondarily, um, we, we believe that the Lord is, is living and active, is reigning and ruling over his church, that Jesus is, is ruling his church, and, and that he, uh, he's speaking to us, and he's leading us, and he's guiding us. So we, we want to be sensitive to where he is leading us and guiding us, and we want to be able to communicate and clarify where we believe he is leading and guiding us. So in this, uh, this week, I, I found this quote. It's become one of my favorite quotes of all time. Um, it's, it's debated often about who said it. It's likely written in the 18th century. But, but the quote says this, and I, I think it's helpful for us. It says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and, and don't assign them tasks and work. Okay, so if you want, you want to build a boat, don't just tell people what to do, assigning them tasks. The quote goes on to say this, rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. 
today, tonight, in a sense, I would like to do my best to cast a vision for the endless immensity of the sea, the beauty, the goodness, the glory of what God's invited us into as his people, and then honestly leave the rest up to him. So with that, I would love to pray for us as we get into this. Father, God, we thank you for who you are to us. Um, God, we realize that because of Jesus, we get to experience your fatherly love towards us, and you call us your beloved children, and that's astounding, and God, we we need to be re-astounded by that reality. So God, astound us. God, we thank you for who you are. Um, God, today, tonight, remind me, remind us that this is your church. God, these are your people. This this is your uh, thing. Um, I am not, we are not the sovereign ones in control. You are, Lord. So God, would you have your way with us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you speak to us? Would you make it clear what you're up to and what you would like, uh, what you would have us do for your glory and for our joy? God, so we love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today won't we've caught on to this, won't look like a traditional sermon where we go to a passage of scripture, exegete it, talk about how we can apply it and obey it. Uh, if you're sad about that, check out, like, come next week. It's, you're you're going to love next week. <laughs> so to dive straight in, uh, first question we're going to try to tackle, uh, why are we? Why are we? Why, why is Resonate Church here in, in Monmouth, Oregon, of, of all places? Why? 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 And this is the most fundamental question we can ask, and it's therefore likely the most fundamentally important question for us to answer and get clarity on. So as we think about this this question of why, we have to realize that maybe in the the business world or in the for-profit world, every organization has a mission statement. Uh, And and really a mission statement is what that given organization has set out to accomplish. So we see examples of this all around us, maybe even specifically here in our area. I, I researched a few and brought them with us. Uh, Maui Melts here in Monmouth. Maui Melts mission statement, their purpose statement, their why statement is this. We exist to create the ultimate caramel experience. The ultimate caramel experience. Uh, the Sipri coffee shop, eatery, exists to bring our community together. Uh, Western Oregon University exists to create lasting opportunities for student success through transformative education and personalized support. It's great. Uh, Dutch Bros exists to make a massive difference one cup at a time. So some, some great examples of, of like why statements, of mission statements. And to be clear, I don't intend to draw parallel lines between for-profit businesses and the local church. Uh, but it's helpful to realize that every organization, every club, every institution, every group of people that come together in an organized way, they will have to ultimately choose or define why they exist. So again, tonight we're talking about Jesus' church expressed through our local church resonate here in Monmouth. Um, so, so we need to, unless we want to tread into dangerous waters, we need to go to Jesus' vision and his why for his church. And, and maybe one of the clearest passages that we often talk about is, is this moment in Matthew chapter 28 where, where Jesus commissions his followers saying, go into the, into the world making disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And so as I was preparing for this week, I I found one theologian scholar, Kevin DeYoung, uh, summarizing the purpose of the church, the mission of the church in in an article and essay on the Gospel Coalition. And Kevin says this, surveying the entire New Testament, says, our task is the gathered body of Christ, the church, 
is to make disciples by bearing witness to Jesus Christ the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, the glory of God the Father. If you're like, Kevin, that's great, bro. That's That sounds great, man. It's, that's really thorough. Um, it's biblically accurate. But, but what we've tried to do is just try to drill down a bit deeper and ask the question, okay, what does that statement, what does that mission look like in our specific time, in our specific context, among the specific people group that, that we've been called to move towards in, in gospel love? What does it look like to, to glorify God and make disciples in our space, in our context? So here, here's our why that we've come up with. We've said it this way. Our why is connecting the gospel to people, people to community, and community to mission. That's our why, connecting the gospel to people, people to community, and community to mission. Uh, really quickly, I'll, I'll walk through this. Um, first, connecting the gospel to people. Uh, we, we talk about the gospel a lot in our church, and the, and the reason for that is because we believe the gospel is the hope of the world. And, and what we have to begin to understand is that the, the word gospel simply means good news. So when we start to realize that at the center of Christianity is the gospel, then we begin to realize that at the center of Christianity is good news, not, not good advice. So right, good advice says, hey, you life, your life out of order? Is your life uh, messed up and broken? Um, hey, here's some good advice for you. Go get a haircut, read a self-help book, maybe get a new job. Good luck, man. Good advice. Whereas good news comes along and says, hey, I I love you enough to let you know um, you can't get your life in order on your own. Your life is broken. Your life is messy because of your sin. And and that's your great issue. But here's the good news. God loves you so significantly that he sent his only son to rescue and redeem you from yourself and from your sin that you might know him and his healing love, that he might redeem you and mend you back together. And he did this by living the sinless life you should have, dying the sin-bearing death that you deserved, and resurrecting, defeating death itself. Good advice says, go get to work. Good luck. Good news says, the work's already been done. Now believe that and live from it. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has accomplished to save sinners and redeem all of creation. So first and foremost, we exist to connect this news with people. Jesus is our hope. He is central. He takes center stage. We cannot drift from the centrality of the gospel. This is foundational for making disciples. This is foundational for God getting the glory. So connecting the gospel to people. Second, connecting people to community. Uh, In our own culture, in our own backyard, we realize that isolation and friendlessness is at an all-time high in the world. And and the the data is out on this. And our personal anecdotal uh, moments of evidence are out on this. Um, So we have to realize the gospel is not only the power to reconcile us to our Heavenly Father. The gospel is the power to reconcile us horizontally with each other. And when the gospel enters into a midst, into a people, it begins to transform uh, these moments of isolation and loneliness into moments of deep and radical intimacy. So connecting people to community. And finally, connecting community to mission. And when we say mission, what we really mean is uh, the mission of God to make himself known in the world. So, so the idea here is that when we begin to re- think that community is the end goal, when, when we just end at community, and man, I love community, and community is a great gift, which it is, but, but if community in itself is the end goal, then you usually end up with clickiness and, and like strange stuff starting to happen in community. 
But when you realize that the point of community, as Jesus laid it out, is that people on the outside would look in and see Jesus, that like God would make his appeal to the world through his people, then you actually get beautiful communities of people established. So you, you start to see how this works as something of a cycle. People begin to realize that they're connected to their Heavenly Father because of what Jesus has done in their place. They're invited into gospel community because uh, we, we do this as brothers and sisters. And then we realize that there's still people out there in the world who don't know the radical love of Jesus. And so we give ourselves to that mission and it begins to operate like something of a cycle. So we exist, Resonate Church exists, because we see three gaps. People are disconnected from their Heavenly Father. People are disconnected from radical intimacy that we were created for with human relationships. And people are disconnected from the greatest purpose ever. And that's to know Jesus and make Jesus known. So we exist to fill those gaps, connecting the gospel to people, people to community, and community to mission. So, so that's why are we. Second question is, who are we? Who are we? And another way of like asking this question or thinking about this question is, is maybe asking who do we need to become in order to carry out our why? Like, like what, what are the things that are going to make us us so that we can become the kind of people to carry out our why? It, so, so this is ultimately about like the kinds of disciples of Jesus we will become. And this week is, I was just reading, I read this observation from someone named Neil Cole. And uh, this has given me immense clarity as, as we've thought about this. So he, here's what Neil Cole said. It says this, Ultimately, each church will only be evaluated by one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, preaching, programs, or property are. To which I would say, we don't have any property, so we're good on that one. <laughs> he goes on to say, if your disciples are not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. Like, sheesh, Neil, why you got to say it like that? But what, what you begin to realize is, is that um, the, the essence of the church, again, is a people. And so asking the question, what kind of people do we need to become in order for us to carry out our why? What, what is, uh, is the thing that we should be aiming at in this? So as we thought about this, as I was thinking about this, begin to think about the idea of culture. And this idea of great culture usually stems from uh, a moment where there's great values. So obviously, as followers of Jesus, our, our ultimate values uh, are to align with Jesus and His ways and to His authority displayed in His Word. Um, but, but again, to ask the question, what makes us, us specifically? Uh, we we kind of began to come up with these values. So uh, with the plurality of leadership in our church, here, here are four church values we want to actually present to us. And, and these are things that we should be able to clearly see and define and celebrate and also like lovingly hold one another accountable in. So uh, four church values for us, who we are. Number one, we seek first the kingdom. We seek first the kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So Jesus kind of lays it out for us. So this is fairly easy. Um, but right, as we talk about this, this kingdom language, it's kind of confusing for us in 2023. We, we don't operate in the reality where we have kings and, and kingdoms uh, in, in our political sphere. But a huge percentage of recorded words of Jesus in the four gospels are about the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom? 
What's the kingdom of God? Uh, in, in this, it's, it's kind of just helpful to honestly think about like the Lord of the Rings or, or the Lion King, right? So, so just think about it with me. Um, what's a kingdom when you think about Lord of the Rings or the Lion King? Well, a kingdom is just like a region, a place where a specific king is in charge, right? <laughs> so Jeff Christofferson says it this way, in the simplest of terms, the kingdom of God is what the world looks like when King Jesus gets his way. That's it. The kingdom of God is what it looks like when Jesus gets his way in a, in a place, in a region, in, in, in the world. It's, it's what a place looks like when Jesus rules and reigns. And Jesus says, seek that thing first. <laughs> Make that the main thing. So with each of these values, have just three kind of bullet points of what this might look like in our lives and in your life specifically. Here's three. Uh, to seek first the kingdom, it, it might look like this. I long for King Jesus to have his way in my own heart, in our church, and in our world. It's like, I, I long for that. I, I pray for that. I, I beg God to make that a reality, first in my own heart, then in our church, and then in our community and in our world. Uh, it, it looks like I personally enjoy the king. In Matthew chapter 13, for, uh, verse 44, uh, this moment where the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. I personally enjoy the king and his presence. And last, I know that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Uh, language from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We realize that uh, our battle that, that we're involved in as kingdom citizens is, is not against flesh and blood, but is against uh, spiritual realities and, and the principalities and, uh, and the, the powers of hell. And so we begin to realize that uh, we wage war uh, by being connected to our king. So we seek first the kingdom. Notice this isn't resonate first. It's not me first. It's not my career first. It's not my political affiliation first. It's not my money first. It's seek first the kingdom. That's what Jesus' language was. Number two, we take care of our resonate family. We take care of our resonate family. Acts chapter 4 verse 32 says this of the early church. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So looking back to the early church, we want to say we take care of our resonate family. And, and every word here is intentional. Notice we didn't say we take care of our church friends. Notice we didn't say we, we take care of the people we go to village with. No, we take care of our family. Uh, author Rebecca McLaughlin says this, Family is more than family. Have we forgotten the Bible says far more about the family of the church than the nuclear family? We are brothers and sisters. We are one body. We are not a disparate collection of nuclear tribes. It seems to me that the New Testament drives a truck through our modern, western, dare I say, American conception of family as being a mom and dad and 2.4 kids. What Rebecca is saying is we think family and we think mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and cousin and aunts and uncles. Uh, Jesus thinks family and he thinks my church, the, my people who do the will of my father who's in heaven. So we take care of our resonate family. Here, here's what this might look like. Uh, this, this looks like I count others as more significant than myself. It's Philippians chapter two language. This looks like I gladly sacrifice time, talents, and treasures to meet family needs. 
and we've seen this happen in the history of our church like time and time again. Someone needs a medical bill paid for. The church family handles it. Someone uh, breaks a laptop, needs a laptop. Uh, somebody makes a group me, right? The, the church family handles it. Um, and then last, I pursue reconciliation. I don't just settle for peace. And peace there is maybe with air quotes, <laughs> um, right? Because conflict is unavoidable in families. As you get a bunch of broken and imperfect and in-progress people together, conflict is going to happen. But in Christ, we have the resource to not let it destroy, but actually create intimacy and bring us closer. So I pursue reconciliation, not just uh, settling for quote-unquote peace. So we take care of our Resonate family. Number three, we are being transformed. We are being transformed. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 3, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So the idea here is, uh, we did a sermon series years ago called Never the Same. And the idea of that series was this, you can't encounter, experience, uh, and get with Jesus and not be changed by Jesus. That's impossible. He will be transforming us. So this is a value because we want to align with the expectation that Jesus will, little by little, degree by degree for the rest of our lives, be transforming us to look less and less like our old dead selves who are buried in the grave with Christ and more and more like our Redeemer who lives. So what might this look like? Three things. I abide in the vine and I have a hidden life with Jesus. It's John 15 language. I abide in the vine. I'm connected to the power source. I'm connected to Jesus and I abide in him. I remain in him and I have a hidden life with him. I don't just obey him when others are watching, but I get in private and secret and meet with him and I trust him and I enjoy him. Uh, it looks like I'm being discipled by Jesus, not by culture. It's like Romans 12, one through two language. So the real talk question is, is Jesus discipling us or is like are our phones discipling us? Is the social media intake, is, it, is our news intake discipling us? Everyone is being discipled. Like every person ever, because we were made to be formed, is being formed. The question is who's forming us? What's forming us? And we wanna say Jesus is the one who forms us, not our culture, uh, not our cell phones, not the media. And finally, I regularly repent and believe. It's Mark chapter 1, verse 15, language. And the idea there is that we grow in the Christian uh, life. We, we, we mature as Christians um, through, through nothing other than the grace of repentance and belief. And so when God exposes us, when God speaks to us, we have these moments we call kairos moments, uh, and sin is exposed in our lives, then we apply grace to that sin in our, li in our life and we repent and believe, we turn and we trust that Christ took it on the cross, was nailed with him, buried in the grave, and he gives us new power to obey. So we are being transformed. And finally, number four, we are dependent risk takers. <laughs> we are dependent risk takers. A couple quick verses, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Uh, Esther chapter 4 verse 16 have this moment where Queen Esther says this go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days night or day I and my young women will also fast 
as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Uh, so why, why do I bring up those two verses? Well, the first verse in Proverbs is this clear moment to say, uh, we often get in moments where we lean on our own understanding, which means that we're not trusting the Lord with our entire heart. And so part of what it means to trust in the Lord with our entire heart is that we have to put ourselves in positions to need Him. And so we want to be dependent on Him as we take uh, risks trusting Him. And, and then with, with Queen Esther, there we see this clear moment where Esther is, is willing to risk uh, everything, like even her own safety, her own life, because of uh, obedience to what God is calling her to. So, so much of the prevailing church model has just been kind of this like, hey, if it's not broke, don't fix it mentality. Um, just kind of do what we've been doing forever. And, and, and we want to say that that's not what we believe God's calling us to. We, we want to be dependent risk takers and, and, and not stray from the authority of scripture, not stray from uh, what God's called us to as his people. Um, but there, there may be moments where uh, we need to identify, like, have we just been doing something because we've been stuck in our ways? So it might look like this, three things. Um, I make decisions or sacrifices that force me to trust God. So as, as we make decisions in, in our lives, like a, a great maybe f- thing to factor in is, w- will the decision I'm making here force me to depend on the Lord? That's, that's a great question to be asking ourselves. Um, this will look like I exercise faith in a way that occasionally looks crazy to the world. <laughs> Uh, there's kind of this old saying of like, let's be fools for Christ. Let's, let's be fools as we go into the world and, and proclaim Jesus and, and tell others about Jesus or let's radically obey Jesus. Let's be fools for Christ. And as people look at that, what if they begin to say, that doesn't make sense? That doesn't make sense. What if there's some merit uh, to what they are, um, to what they're believing and what they're doing with their lives? And then finally, I'm willing to risk status, comfort, money, or whatever so that others can know and experience Jesus. So we are dependent risk takers. So that's who we are. It's four values for us to be able to look at, to identify. We can celebrate those things. We can point those things out in each other, um, who we want to become. And finally, lastly, what are we doing? Where are we going? Uh, and th- this is like where the vision part of Vision Sunday begins to get real for us. Um, so let me give kind of an illustration in this for us. Um, let's just imagine that three Christians were each given a small candle with a short wick. And they were told to use this candle with a short wick as the best they can to bring, to bring glory to God. Okay, cool. Three Christians. Uh, The first Christian said, since I've been given a small candle with a short wick, I'm going to find the coldest place that I can and bring the warmth of Christ there. Like, yeah, cool. That that makes sense. Bring bring warmth to a place that is cold. So second Christian maybe says, uh, since I've been given a small candle with a short wick, I'm going to find the darkest place I can and bring the light of Christ there. Like, oh man, that sounds really good too. Like dark places be a light in the dark. Yes, that's great. Um, But then the third Christian says this, um, since I've been given a small candle with a short wick, I'm going to find a candle factory (laughs) where I can ignite 20,000 other candles, many of which will be larger than mine with wicks longer than mine. Friend, we've been given small candles with relatively short wicks. Even if God gave you uh, 80 
90 years in this life. Do, do you realize how short that is when you compare it to a billion years? Like for all eternity? So, so what, what I'm trying to say here is what we want to do as a church is, is give us a vision that will help us orient our candle, candles towards what matters most. And what matters most is, is Jesus being known, enjoyed, praised, adored, uh, worshipped, obeyed, for Jesus getting the glory that he deserves in asking the question, um, how can he get the, the maximum glory from our lives? So, so here it is. We have sh- a short life. Uh, here's kind of this idea of a, a vision for us for, for um, where we'd like to go as a church um, that, that we think is kind of in line with that candle factory illustration. Here it is. Uh, we want to head towards being a multiplying church for the campus, the community, and the ends of the earth. A multiplying church for the campus, the community, and the ends of the earth. Uh, I know I've just been walking through definitions with us the entire time today, so this is the last one. Stay with me. <laughs> um, real quick, uh, multiplying. Notice we didn't just say we want to be a church for the campus community and the ends of the earth. No, a multiplying church. Well, multiplying, uh, we want to be a multiplying church because that's candle factory math, right? Uh I was thinking about this with, with my own kids, with my own sons. Um, I don't just want to raise my boys to be great men. I, I do want that. But but I actually want to raise my boys. We're about to welcome our third child into the world, our third son. Um, I want to raise my boys to be men who raise up more men under them. Does that, does that make sense? Uh, I want to raise them to be fathers. Not just great men, but fathers. Fathers in the faith. They can take uh, others under them and father them in the faith towards maturity in Jesus. Fathers, if God gives them families someday. So I I could just aim at forming three great men, or I could aim at forming three men who can form more men under them. That's just math. And it's also humbling because it means that nothing is ultimately about me and, and my name or my lineage or my legacy. So when we say multiply, we mean multiply everything. We mean disciples of Jesus making disciples of Jesus. We mean village leaders helping others see that God could use them to become village leaders. We mean uh, pastors raising up more godly men to step into the role of pastoring. We mean churches starting more churches, everything. So multiplying. And then we said um, a multiplying church for the campus. And this is crucial. We say campus because that's candle factory legacy. Right, you think about legacy, the, the future belongs to the next generation. So the question is, what's, what's a great way to shape the future with the hope of the gospel? Well, shape the next generation with the hope of the gospel. So in case, in case you didn't know, over the last 15 years, our network of churches has made this the main thing. And this will remain part of the main thing for us because um, there, there's honestly probably always a gravitational pull away from the next generation for, for whatever reason in us. But, but if we want a gospel legacy that extends beyond us, we, we must continue to aim at the college campus to some degree because that's candle factory legacy. And finally, the community and the ends of the earth. And all, all we mean by this is, is that uh, we, we hope that, that there will be some of us who will be specifically called to light candles in a different way. Um, so, so part of that might look like uh, some of us like sticking around or uh, being a part of other churches, maybe in our network of churches that are more like community churches. 
um, where we can be invested, we can uh, live, work, and play in a region, and like our communities should look different because disciples of Jesus who are part of the Resonate family work, live, and play there. And, and then the, the ends of the earth is that that's like all nations type language that Jesus uses. And, and just to say it clearly, like God will call some of you to abandon America and go to a foreign land to light more candles. That, that, that will be a reality. So, so we want to see that play itself out. We've all got one candle. We don't know how long our wicks are. So we actually believe that's the best way forward for us. We want to be a multiplying church for the campus, the community, and the ends of the earth. So as, as we wrap up, as we finish this out, just have three quick initiatives or um, ideas of things that we want to begin to implement as a people like today in, in the coming weeks, months, and season. Real quick, here are three of them. First is this, uh, we want to send every senior with purpose. So as we continue to aim at the college stamp campus, we, we realize that college students don't stay college students forever, as hard as we try. <laughs> so as we continue to aim at the campus, we, we realize that freshmen are going to progress into seniors, and we want to bless and send seniors with a purpose that's greater than the American dream. So being sent might mean giving a few years back to the campus, like influencing those who are right behind you. Uh, sent might mean joining a church planting team one day. Sent might mean actually staying with intention uh, in the church that you, you've been a part of for a few years. Um, and sent might mean serving the kingdom in a way that's more expansive than our church or our network of churches. And that's great. We want to bless and send our seniors. So our idea here is to commission seniors in the way that we've commissioned church plants. Why can't that be a reality for us? Um, second, we want to make uh, whole life disciples. We want to make holistic whole life disciples. We want to equip men and women to follow Jesus, which, which by the way, means that we equip men and women to follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus for the whole lives. So, so we want to see college students loving, following, obeying Jesus and helping others do the same. We want to see recent graduates loving, following, obeying Jesus, helping others to do the same. We want to see interpreters Loving, following, obeying Jesus, helping others do the same. We want to see teachers loving, following, obeying Jesus. We want to see mom and dads, uh, moms and dads loving, following, and obeying Jesus. Fill in the blank. We want to make whole life disciples, everyone, everywhere. Like we want this to be a reality. And then number three, uh, we we have a vision. We are planning on planting another collegiate church by 2025. So we know that in 2021, we sent a team to start a new church in Corvallis, Oregon, um, reaching students at OSU, reaching that community, and, and already we've seen the, the fruit of, of that being a reality for us. Um, so we realize that planting collegiate churches keeps us humble, keeps us desperate, it forces us to not make anything about ourselves, and by the way, it propels us into this idea that we need to multiply everything. So by 2025, we're praying and planning on sending another team out. Um, this last spring break, we sent a team of 20 to scout out some potential loca locations where uh, to see where God might be leading us. And, uh, and this is slated right now to be led by the Pedregons and their family. So uh, some of you will go on that team. Some of you need to start praying and thinking about that and having conversations. So our three kind of initiatives. So as we wrap up um, today, tonight, uh, we need to go back to where we began, um, back to the endless immensity of the sea. 
Because tonight there's been lots of vision, mission, purpose, value, catchy statements, right? Probably probably too many of them, honestly. This should have probably been like three sermons. Um, <laughs> but, but if we're not careful, uh, the, these vision, mission, purpose, value statements, they, they just become kind of the assigned task that we talked about. They become the collecting the wood, the engineering the boat, just kind of mindlessly doing our part to begrudgingly build the boat. But it's like, again, going back to the beginning, the whole point of the quote is once you're captivated by the immensity by the endless glory of the sea, you'll do anything to get there. So, so for you, my friend, my question is, are you captivated by the endless immensity of the sea? Are you captivated by your Redeemer's glory? So I think our problem isn't that we lack motivation or direction. Our problem is that we're so often captivated by lesser glories than the glory of the one true God of the universe. And the only way to be captivated and to be recaptivated like every day, every moment by Jesus' glory is, is to return to the moment where his glory was on display most fully at the cross where he bled for you, that you might know him, that he might rescue you. He did that even though we didn't deserve it. So when you marvel at his grace, his glory becomes your aim. And when his glory becomes your aim, you'll do anything to get more of it and help others experience it. So that's, that's my prayer for us, that we'd marvel at his grace, at his glory, and that we become this kind of people. Love you, Resonate.